0: hello and welcome to episode 9 of the podcast series mum you've got this if this is your first time listening to the podcast there's an intro episode you can go back to which explains exactly what this series is about the person featuring on today's episode is Sarah Sarah and I have worked together and both it's actually exciting because she's the first person on that's uh, in the exact industry that I work in which um, which Sarah will explain exactly what uh, her career path has been and what she's doing now Sarah thank you so much for coming onto the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Let's start with what your current situation is right now with your
1: family dynamic and what you do for work. Yes, so I am 55. Um, I started out having children quite late in life. Um, I was 33 when I had my first daughter Mm -hmm. and I followed in quick succession with my second at 35. And then I had a break for six years due to a marital breakdown. And by the time I met another partner, I was 41 when I had twins. So, wow, yeah, so my kids, um, my eldest daughter just turned 21, just between Christmas and New Year. Mm-hmm. And my second daughter will turn 20 this year and my twins will turn 14. Wow.
0: So, yeah, that keeps
1: me kind of (laughs) busy. Sounds like it. Did you, um, and what you do for work? Yeah, so I actually have a couple of businesses. I have a commercial cleaning business, which I've had since the mid 2000s. Um, I kind of have been self employed since my first daughter was born. She was born with four holes in her heart. So, At that particular time, I was working for my dad in tourism. He ran the Arthur Seat chairlift down at Dramana. Mm -hmm. And I was his marketing person, his um, kick-up-the-butt person. Uh, I ran the chairlift a couple of days a week and I just sort of did his bookkeeping and admin. I I had always been in admin when I um, left school. I did a Bachelor of Arts in foreign languages and my plan was at that point in time that I would go on and work in foreign affairs and work for the government. But I met a um, cool dude, a surfer mm-hmm. and fell madly in love. And I got married at 22 and threw away pretty well much through all my plans away as far as my career went. And that marriage only lasted 18 months and When I realized it wasn't going anywhere, I took off overseas for a couple of years and traveled and did the backpack of stuff that I probably should have done when I was 18 years old. Mm. And um, when I came back, I tried a few different things and ended up working in administration. And that's how I kind of ended up working for my dad. And I, as I said, I, um, my daughter was, when she was born, she had to have open heart surgery when she was 12 weeks old. And I didn't go back to work for quite some time because we had a lot of hospital visits. And the I fell pregnant again when my first daughter was six months old and that kind of changed the whole way I did my work situation. Mm. And uh, that was when my first business was born. I became a virtual assistant. Okay. And over a period of time, I that fell into... Uh, cleaning and commercial cleaning and so now I I still run 21 years later I still run a commercial cleaning business and about four years ago I fell into mortgage broking which Mm. is how you and I became friends or colleagues, however you like to see it.
0: Both. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's, so interesting. You've done so many different things. So maybe if we can go back. So um, you kind of went through school, got into um, everything that you mentioned before around, um, was it foreign affairs and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. And met a partner, got married. um, Yes. And then that fell through, went overseas Do you feel like you got all of that out of your system from that travel side of things of like living, you know, life to the fullest in your 20s?
1: Yes, I definitely did. Although what it's left me with is this burning desire to travel the world at every opportunity I have.
0: It's the problem with it, isn't it? You get the bug and you just want to just constantly travel whenever you possibly oh, can. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and my bucket list just keeps getting bigger, bigger. and bigger. and same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the great thing about the, having kids is you can take them with you and you can show them the world, which is amazing. You know, mm. it's, it's so much more accessible these days than it was for our parents or 50 yep. of my parents who are now in their 80s. You know, when I was a kid we did caravanning holidays and uh, well, that's all which people it's amazing afford, right like it yeah, was just it was so fantastic. Expensive. yeah yeah but anyway. you know nowadays it's it's cheaper we have far better incomes we have mm. the opportunities that that our parents didn't have to take our kids overseas so mm. you know my my kids have been you know, my eldest daughter's been to hong kong and she's been to thailand and she's going to london this year and you know, the little ones have been to Fiji and to Thailand and to Bali. And it's amazing. Mm. We have just so much more opportunities, which is great. Very true. We're very lucky.
0: So Mm. you, how old were you when you returned back to Melbourne from your
1: overseas travel? I think I was about 27. Mm -hmm. I, I had my 25th birthday, um, at the turn of the century, God, I sound old, <laughs> but yes, it was to the year 2000. No, it wasn't. It was the year, not certainly the year 1990. I'm wrong. Sorry. <laughs> um, 1990, I turned 25 in London. And wow. the girl that I had met on a bus trip around Europe was working in a pub in North London. And I flew over and met with her. And we spent the next two years traveling around Europe. And we, we temped, we did secretarial work, working mm. for, amazing companies I mean I had a job for six months working for the Royal College of General Practitioners in Knightsbridge right near Harrods you know it sounds wow, really glamorous it does <laughs> but it, it was yeah it was amazing and um, it was just a secretarial job but it gave me the opportunity to backpack around Europe for three months and and then I went to America for three months and and then I met a group of South African guys that I traveled with and went to South Africa for three months, and and got back to Australia when I was about 27,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I met my second husband. Um, I was went, went back home to live with my mum in Mount Eliza, and I decided I needed a new network of friends, and I enrolled myself in tennis lessons and end up marrying the tennis coach (laughs) (laughs) so he he why not he's the father of my two eldest girls Mm -hmm. and he uh still um is coaching tennis although he took a break for 10 15 years and he became a police officer Mm -hmm. and you know today to this day we're still really good friends and and my girls you know have a great relationship with their dad um and during that time That was when I started running my first business being a virtual assistant and I was doing bookkeeping and secretarial work for a variety of different local businesses as well as um, overseas businesses. I joined a virtual assistant association and I ended up doing some work for companies over in Europe who wanted some translation work or some uh, correction of grammar and things like that done for them while they were sleeping and they'd get up the next day and I would have done their, their tidying up of their work for them. So
0: what did, is that what you started doing as soon as you came back to Australia when you were 27?
1: Uh, No, I worked in the computer industry because when I left, when I finished university and I moved in with, when I got married, I, I didn't end up doing what I was trained to do. Um, I ended up working for a computer company because my next door neighbor was running a computer business and he needed somebody to run his office. And I kind of just fell into administration and it it turned out to be what I'm best at, Mm. you know, I'm best at organizing people and managing things and, and, you know, processes and uh, yeah, just getting people organized. So Mm. I ended up falling, falling into that industry and the computer industry was where I first started working and it paid the bills and it wasn't until my dad offered me a, an opportunity to work with him and do some marketing and some advertising and run the chairlift with him and doing something different that I kind of spread my wings a bit more and became a little bit more entrepreneurial.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can I ask, were, were you working
1: at the chairlift when the that accident happened? I was working at the chairlift when the fire went through in right. 1996 and then, Danique, my first daughter, daughter, was born in 1998. And actually, when the when the chairlift collapsed in, I think it was 2003, I was at home and my next-door neighbours yelled over the fence and they said the cricket was on. I remember it so clearly. The cricket was on and there was a one of those like ticker tape things going across the bottom of the screen mm-hmm. saying, chairlift collapses and... And I called out to my neighbours and I said, can you please mind the kids? And and I drove to the bottom of the hill and the police were there. And I knew the police because i have been living in Dramana for a while. And I said, I've got to go and see my dad. And I I ran, literally ran up the hill Mm -hmm. to get to the top of the hill to see my dad. And it it was the most devastating thing that uh, I'll never, ever forget the look on my dad's face. He was shattered he could not Mm. believe what had happened um yeah it was kind of the breaking of him really because it was an accident that was something he'd inherited from the person who designed it and built it and and that kind of was the beginning of the end you know other things then started to go wrong it was it was a design that was old and antiquated and you know even though dad replaced the chairlift over the years it never really recovered
0: okay. you know that
1: then we had a we had an incident which was deemed to be um uh somebody meddled with it somebody um, loosened the bolts and then a lady's legs got crushed you know so there was a couple of uh, there was a couple of things that happened that were out of his control and and then the powers that be kind of I won't say they conspired against him but everything was against him he was never they were never going to allow him to reopen that chairlift it was just the, 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 the well the public perception was that it needed to be a brand new chairlift and that's what ended up happening with you know what's down there now so mm. yeah it was just a shame the way he was treated after he'd given 40 years service to tourism mm. and 40 years service to you know that the hill and arthur seat so you know, it is what it is and we just all have to move on from it really mm, mm.
0: sorry to bring it up it just was a it just no, no, into my yeah. head I just remember seeing I'm not from Melbourne originally but um I've obviously heard this heard, well, read articles and heard stories about it I think there was a big anniversary about it not that long ago maybe which was why it was in in my mind yeah and you know um, being
1: a Tasmanian you know that my dad used to supply um the Launceston share lift with all of its spare parts too you know because that was one of the other ones that was built by the guy that built the original ones too so yeah okay yeah you know okay so you came
0: yeah so you came back from um overseas and moved into working with your dad and getting into the VA kind of stuff. I'm really interested in that, like how I'm sure people listening, especially people that, you know, have kids and maybe just want to be able to work from home and look at getting into something like that. I know, I think, you know, not being sexist, but I think so many women are so good at planning and organizing and kind of get enjoyment out of all of that kind of stuff. How is, or what any advice or information you'd give to anyone listening that might be interested in trying to start something like that for
1: themselves? I think VA businesses are amazing. You know, I I absolutely think that anybody can do it. Mm. You know, we as women in business, we underestimate the value that we have. And running a VA business is so important because there's so many small businesses out there that haven't got a clue on how to do so many things. Mm. And what I found was like I doing my dad's work was different because it was my dad and, you know, he was always going to get me to do that sort of work. So he would drive to the hospital and he would drop me off a whole pile of papers with no thought about the fact that I was, had a child in hospital, you know, that was just my dad of that era. But I had, um, I had been working as a volunteer on a committee of management in Dramana on the Foreshore committee. And I had been doing that voluntarily, just doing their secretarial work, you know, helping out with doing their invoices and things like that. Mm -hmm. And they, when, when I was pregnant with Danique, I said, look, I don't think I can keep doing this after she's born. And they said, that's okay. We'll pay you. So that's how my VA business Mm -hmm. kind of began. Mm -hmm. And after about a year, I ended up doing about 24 hours a week for them. And over the, then I joined this VA association and what happens with this va association is you get once you pay your membership you get leads a bit like we do in the broking industry mm-hmm. you get leads of jobs that you can bid on okay and if you and if you think that you're got the skills to be able to do the job you just email back and say yep i can do this i'm interested and it's kind of the first couple of people that have those skills that respond that have the opportunity of pitching to the client, and so then the client will come back to you and say, "Yep, what's your rate? I'm interested in doing this." and And that's how I came to have my other clients. So as I said before, I ended up with this German, this German um, company, and actually, the man I was working for was an Irish engineer living in Germany doing translations on things like trams and trains equipment mm. for for Siemens, who is Siemens is the big engineering firm. Mm-hmm. And so he would he would have a say a product pamphlet that um, he needed to translate from German into English. So he had developed this translation software that would go over the words, translate it into English. He would send it to me and I would correct all the grammar and make mm, okay. it sound more English. And then I would send it back to him. He'd get up the next morning and there it was. Mm. So it worked really well. And I did quite a lot of work for him. I also did work for a company that was uh, doing a new edition of the Australian racing history. And so I had to copy type a uh, hundred pages of this Australian racing book. So, you know, you're writing about things like far lap and, R1 and all these race horses which was really quite interesting so you get this amazing variety of work and that all came from being involved in this association and this is so the association's been running for 20 or 30 years and still runs today and it's okay. a really good avenue for you know you don't have to have massive skills in being a bookkeeper or an accountant or this or that you just need to be able to type and mm. And be able to organise things in in a you know methodical fashion, and there's work out there. So I think it's a great opportunity for for women. I mm. mean, I remember when my kids were very small, that when they went to bed. I would sit and stuff envelopes with letters and I would do 5,000 envelopes a night, Mm, stuff these envelopes and take them down to the post office the next day and mail them. Mm. So as soon as my kids went to bed, I would work. So as my, my husband and I split up after my second daughter was uh, only one year old. So I had a, a two year old and a one year old and, and he was in the police academy and kind of things just didn't work out. And so I was doing this so when the kids slept, I worked. So Mm. fortunately for me, they both slept for about three hours every afternoon Mm -hmm. and then they went to bed about 7 o'clock at night and I would work till midnight. And that's how I ran my business.
0: How interesting. So it would be a great kind of thing for, um, as I said before, and you've said women obviously with young children at home and like what you did to be able to work around nap times and things like that, particularly if you're getting clients that are, International, overseas, and different time zones and things, and maybe like uni students and stuff like that too. That just need to pick up a couple of gigs. It's probably great for them to get some income, work around you know classes and assignments and all that kind of stuff. So definitely.
1: And I have a friend in who lives in Queensland who actually does all of the flight information from not commercial not big commercial airlines but the smaller commercial airlines and they type in all of the flight logs okay. and they do all of the the conversations that happen when they when they're coming into land and their flight logs and they do that and they can they just download the information and type it as it as it becomes available and they can choose to do it for a certain number of hours a day mm. So there's actually quite a lot of work out there for people who want to do data entry type work or, you know, kind of, it's not kind of, it's kind of translation work, but you know, so it's like dictation work is what Mm. I, probably what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really interesting field. It
0: is. So you were doing that, met your, your um, second husband when you were, how old were you when you met your second husband?
1: So I must've been about 30 cause mm-hmm. we, we had problems conceiving, um, Danique. Mm-hmm. We ended up going to Monash IVF and getting some assistance, okay. um, to have her, uh, I don't know whether it was age or what it was, but yeah, we definitely had some problems. So we did what they call, um, ovulation induction. So mm-hmm. my, my, um, ovaries were stimulated so that I produced more eggs Mm -hmm. and then they took my husband's sperm and they basically did the turkey based thing Mm -hmm. and inseminated me that way rather than the IVF system where they take the eggs out collect them and then Mm -hmm. they um artificially uh, fertilize them Mm -hmm. so this was a bit different they stimulated me and then gave me a, a a um Turkey-based uh, stimulation <laughs> of the, you know, the sperm, and that's how my mm. first daughter was born. And then my second daughter was born. She, we call her our love child because that was six months after Danique was born, and she had gone through all of her heart surgery, and we'd finally been given the all clear. Mm. We have a, we had a bottle of red wine in front of the open fire, and there she came. <laughs> <laughs> So that would have been a surprise. That was a very big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there was only 14 months between my first two, which, wow. which, was, which was busy.
0: Oh my goodness. So with, uh, with your first, did you know through your pregnancy or how long did that, that process take with IVF as well? Was it many attempts before you fell
1: pregnant? I think it took us three.
0: Okay so pretty quick and then yeah. pregnancy wise like was was the issues with her heart
1: picked up through scans no or, mm. no we didn't know until she was 5 weeks old wow and i was at my maternal health checkup and um it was really hot uh it was she was born on the 29th of december
0: mm. and it was
1: a really really hot summer and my birthday's the 1st of january and she was born 2 weeks early And I remember being in hospital thinking how nice it was to be in hospital because it was air conditioned and it was so, so hot. Mm. And when I got out, she should have been born on the 12th of January. And when we went to all of my maternal health checkups, she was I just used to have her in a singlet because it was so hot. Mm. And the maternal health nurse noticed that when she was breathing, it was sucking in underneath her ribs. Mm. And apparently that's a real dead giveaway for kids with heart issues.
0: Yep. And what they gave you a referral to get an ultrasound from there.
1: They sent me straight away to a pediatrician mm. and the pediatrician took one look at her and sent us straight to Frankston hospital in, into, we got checked into the hospital and they wouldn't let us leave until we had an appointment to see a cardiologist,
0: wow. which was
1: at Monash, which was a couple of days later. And my, husband at the time, the kids, the father was in the police academy and we didn't tell him until until about a week later till we had the results because we didn't want him to drop out from the police academy. Mm. And um, my mum came with me. My mum came to every appointment. And, yeah, it was only at, so she was five weeks old and they sent us to see the cardiologist who uh, wanted to do what they call... um, Gosh, I've forgotten what they call they they actually put they put a balloon up through her um, artery through her groin mm-hmm. and they open up the the air the um the artery to see where the blockage is or whether there's any um holes or anything and they found uh four holes. So when she was twelve weeks old, they did open heart surgery. And they put a seven millimeter dacron um, patch over the biggest hole,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they stitched up the other two hole two holes, and they left one that they couldn't get to, and that since closed over when she was about ten years old. That had closed over, wow. and I remember, I remember when I handed her over to the anaesthetist and I just, whenever I tell the story. It's always like that's that thing that just gets me because mm. I never knew whether she would come back.
0: Mm.
1: It was just, yeah, the most confronting thing I've ever done in my whole life was handing my little baby over to somebody. And much as they were the most amazing people, you know, that was at the Royal Children's Hospital in, in Carlton or Parkville. Mm. And you just, we when we handed her over, they said to us, you know, it's going to be a few hours, go for a walk we walked to Carlton and back twice mm. and they were, they operated on her for seven hours. Oh wow. It was amazing. It was the most amazing thing.
0: Do you know my, I have a cousin who has a little boy who had exact thing, very young, a few months old and had to have open heart surgery and a close friend who I've known for 20 years, the same thing with her, her little girl, her first girl. And all, they've said the, all said the same thing and I visited my cousin's little baby in the Royal Children's Hospital. This is both both of them at the Royal Children's as well and they're both, yeah. both just faultless of the service and everything that they had. But, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I just, yeah, I sp- you know, I think any child going through that would just be, you just can't even explain it, I don't think. But I just think having that be your first experience with your first baby would be even extra hard, like, yeah just it's I've, kind
1: of funny though you know it's it's kind of funny because people used to say to me oh my god how did you ever cope with that and you just think well what else were you going to do mm, you know it, yeah you know, it's, it's no choice it's you got no choice and you don't know anything different it's your first child how do you, you know like i remember mm. you know when danique was a baby she used to sleep so well mm. she said you know as a as a, a newborn she used to sleep 12 hours And everybody said to me, oh, you're so lucky your baby sleeps every night. And and I just thought, oh, yeah, I'm lucky. And then, you know, I find out that she's got a heart condition and it wasn't so lucky But that she Mm. was sleeping all the time. But she just didn't have enough energy to live. You know, she kind of had that really grey look about her, you know, Mm. almost a bluey grey. And once she'd had her heart surgery, she immediately was pink. Mm. And what was the most incredible thing was she was in – Um, intensive care for five days and then when she came out of intensive care and she went up to the ward they discharged her after two days and they only had her on Panadol and that's because kids don't know pain yeah you know kids don't understand that babies don't know that there's any pain so that they recover really quickly well and she she recovered amazingly quickly it was yeah, incredible. That's incredible.
0: And what about now? Does she have any issues? So now, with heart or?
1: yeah, she actually, because of the damage that was done before, we had the open heart surgery because we had to wait till she was a bit though. You know, they try and wait till they're a bit bigger and a bit stronger before they operate. Mm. They that she has some damage done to her valve, um, so her pulmonary valve needs to be replaced. So we go and see her cardiologist every year. Mm. And every year, he says she's amazing, hmm. and she can't. He can't believe how well she's doing. But she's been a dancer since she was four years old, and she would, up until, well, all through her primary school years and her high school years, she would dance twelve, fourteen hours a week. And then hmm. when she finished her year twelve, she went and did um, a diploma in musical theatre at Kelly Acres in West Brunswick and she was dancing 30 hours a week, 30, 35 hours a week. So physically she's really strong. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, When she gets sick, she gets sick because she gets tonsillitis and she gets upper respiratory issues, Mm -hmm. but her heart isn't really her weakness. Although she will sometime probably in the next 10 years need to have a valve replacement. Mm -hmm. And depending on, depending on, um, Technology will depend on what they do. You know, when, when we first started talking about it with the cardiologist ten years ago, he said she would have to have open heart surgery again. And now they're saying that it's possible that they'll do it through the groin or they'll do something like um, um they grow what do they they call it when they grow your own oh the, um they're printing. No, not so much not the three D printing, but they use your tissue and they grow your own valve. Oh, um, okay. I forget what they call it, but mm. you know, so they used to talk about using pigs or cows, right? Yeah, because really, f- they don't like to use mechanical valves for for girls because with the mechanical valves, they have to be on morphine for the rest of their life,
0: mm. and
1: as a girl that menstruates and wants to have children, mm. it's just you just can't. Mm. Yeah, it's just a difficult thing to do. You can do it, but it's just difficult. So then they have a pig or a cow valve, and they have to be replaced every ten years. So it's it's a lot of invasive surgery. So now they're talking about oh, stem cell. That's the word. Stem oh, cell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know where they grow your own. Mm. So you know there's so many different things. So the longer we wait, the better it is for her. Okay. Because you know there's just technology changing all the time, and she you know, she's just, she's so fit. She's so healthy. That's amazing. She's beautiful. Mm.
0: So second baby came very quickly. How did yes. you find, how did you find transitioning to two? Cause you effectively had two babies. Like
1: I did. And I thought, Oh my God, I'm so lucky. I had, tw-. it was like having twins <laughs> until I had twins. <laughs> 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 so what was so beautiful about them was they were doing different things at the same time but yeah you know Elle it was amazing because Mm. I was on my own for a lot of that time and and I remember the tough times of sitting in the kitchen on the floor crying because I didn't know what to do I didn't know how I was going to get through the day and I just didn't have the strength and you know the little kids would come wandering into the kitchen and say mummy what's wrong and that was enough to get me up off the floor and oh. dig deep and keep going, you know. You mm. just what wouldn't you do for your kids? They're little motivators. So, yeah, aren't they. Mm. they are the motivators. Mm. And money was tight. Money was hard. You know, mm. I I had a husband who was just in the police academy and I had me working twenty hours a week doing bookkeeping and secretarial work. So money was tight, but mm. you know, we used to do lots of things that didn't cost any money. We used to go to the beach every day or we used to go for walks or my mum would come down and we'd go and visit the, 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 parks and, you know, we just did things that didn't cost anything. Mm. Did she help and, you at
0: home as well? Cause I imagine that would be.
1: Um, she did. My mum's now in her eighties and starting to, we think that she's starting to show signs of dementia, but when, when Danica, and Grace were little. She was in her sixties, and my mum was fantastic. She had the girls one day a week.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Every Monday, she had them because Monday was when I had my committee meetings for the the organisation that I did the accounts and stuff for. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and um, so she would come and have them every Monday night and all day Tuesday. And she has just got the most amazing relationship with my girls.
0: Mm.
1: It was fantastic. And so, what did you end up um what did you end up doing, career wise after that <coughs> So somehow I managed to into doing uh cleaning i my next partner and I came across a council cleaning contract, and we started doing cleaning of council halls, and I was still doing my bookkeeping work and doing that as well. And that was really good. That was, you know, we, it was great because it made me realize that it was probably more lucrative for me to be running a cleaning business than doing the bookkeeping on my own because I could employ other people to clean, but I couldn't necessarily employ other people to do the secretarial work. So I've done, I did that for 10 years. Um, my next partner and I I just I don't have a very good track record with men as you can probably tell (laughs) because I got married again and then I had twins (coughs) sorry (laughs) and um you know back on my own again raising four kids on my own instead of two which wasn't always the you know the greatest move of my life So
0: so your third husband did you um how long were you well, how old were you when you had the twins, and were you together for a when I was forty-one
1: when, when I had one. the twins, mm. and we did IVF because husband number three had had a vasectomy when he was thirty years old because he didn't want any children. Right. So, um, rather than do a reversal, the doctors advised us to do IVF. And, it and did he did five. he change his mind? Was he? Yes, he did. He wanted. He did. He said, that. yeah. It kind of, we had this conversation one day and he, and I said to him, if you could have anything in the world, what would you like? And he goes, time to play more golf. And he said, what would you like? And I'd say more children. He goes, okay then. So we went and did IVF and had the doctor convinced us to put more than one egg back in because he said there was a greater chance of us falling pregnant mm. and that there was no greater chance of having twins. But it took, f- yeah, four cycles, and we had twins. Wow! Which is a, which is a blessing, really, because there was six years between the the big girls and the twins, and the the next one would have been an only child a lot of the time. Mm. So it's been a blessing, and I got a boy. Mm. So I have three daughters and a son, and you know, for their dad, the twins' dad, it's really changed his life. He. He's a great dad. Um, mm. He spends as much time as he He's a firefighter.
0: Okay. And
1: before anybody says that you have a, for men in uniform. <laughs> that did um, come into my mind. I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> oh, the other one wasn't in uniform when I met. Him. I was about to
0: say he just got into the academy, so that was that was excuse. Yeah he
1: did. Yeah. So um yes yeah, so I was 41 when I had them and I have to tell you that was a really apart from having carry carried two babies at once. It was really tough being pregnant at 40. Mm. The, um, the, my, my girl twin, Amy, was not growing and they noticed it from 19 weeks on. And so every three or four weeks I had a scan and they, the, my obstetrician told me after they were born that he, my file was sitting on his desk and he, he looked at my file every single day.
0: Mm. just
1: watching and waiting to try and decide how long he could get me to go before he would deliver them. And I went to 37 and a half weeks, which I was really wow. pleased with. <clears throat> and they were born on the day before Good Friday. And they were born at Frankston Hospital by Caesar because she hadn't grown very much. And she was only uh, three pound 13 when she was born and, and he was six pound seven. Was it what was so,
0: the reason? Was it something to do with the placenta and nah, the umbilical they just, cord? Or? They
1: did. No, nah, they couldn't find anything wrong. Mm. They did every every test known. They did all this genetic testing and everything like that. She's just this little, we used to call her our little dot. She was just this tiny little dot and she's the most feisty little thing and <sighs> she, she fights. I mean, she's 13 years old and she just weighs 30 kilos now, but she's, mm. a, you know, she's. She's a little fighter and she just didn't grow. He w- he had her pushed up inside my ribs and wouldn't let her have any of the food, obviously. But, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. A... Yeah, well, no, he's not really. I mean, I, mm. I don't make very big babies, to mm. be honest. I mean, if, if when you, you've seen the photograph, they're not, you know, they're not great big kids. They're just all fine-boned and... Mm. You know, I mean, the twins are nearly as tall as me, and I mean, I'm nearly nearly five foot four. So,
0: I was going to say, for people listening, in the photo, Sarah is on the back right. You kind of blend in (laughs) and look like a family (laughs) picture. Yes,
1: I'm not very tall, so it won't be very long before the twins surpass me. I'm thinking
0: it's only a couple of years, I reckon, and all your kids Mm. will will tower over you. Absolutely. How was it? So being bringing the newborns the twins home i've always just wondered like i mean you've had some challenges in being a single parent and being self-employed and and then
1: twins that's a lot yeah so so bringing the twins home was interesting so amy stayed in hospital for two weeks before she came home because they wouldn't let me bring her home until she hit two kilos
0: Mm. um
1: which kind of was good i mean i know it sounds terrible but actually was good for me because it meant that I could just bring one kid home at a time and get that child into a routine. And Mm. I'd had a Caesar as well, so I couldn't drive. So their dad had taken three months off work, which is a blessing, but not,
0: Mm. you know,
1: it's, it's great that they're there to help, but it's great that they're not there to help. You know, Mm. it's, they don't really know what to do but he could drive me back and forth to the hospital every day so we would we would drop the other two at school and we would go down to the hospital until we'd take Tom with us in the in the um, you know in the capsule and we'd go and sit most of the day at the hospital with Amy because the the public hospitals had no staff available really to nurture her and care for her. But I wanted to be at home when the big girls finished school, so we would come back to pick them up and kind of the hospital made me feel guilty that I wasn't spending more time with my newborn. But when we finally got Amy home, it was quite interesting because the big girls were a little bit jealous and it was this constant juggle of spending enough time with the babies during the day. And then as soon as the big girls came home, they took priority. Mm. So it became a thing of the twins got dragged around to everything that the big girls did. Um, And I think that's quite normal for large families. I think, you know, when when you hear about people that have grown up in the country with six or eight siblings, it tends to be the older siblings that raise the younger ones. Mm. And whilst that wasn't so much our situation, it was more about that the younger ones had to fit in with what the older ones were doing. Mm. And so, you know, we went through all of that and um I remember one time that my second daughter Grace, she would have been about six or seven and she was nursing. Amy and she dropped Amy on her head off the edge of the couch and it was almost deliberate maybe Mm. it was deliberate maybe it wasn't deliberate and there was kind of that jealousy thing about um, the babies taking up so much of our time and it wasn't that she didn't love her but perhaps it was a bit of attention and I think kids struggle to know how to
0: kind of communicate that Mm too and recognize their feelings too right so they kind of do certain behavior that
1: that, yeah. You know, and you kind and of twins go, what are you are
0: doing? Amazing.
1: But, mm. Yeah. And you know, we, we would take, we would walk down to the shops down here. I mean, we live in Tramana, which is a, a little village really. And we would go to the supermarket and it would take us two hours to go to the supermarket because everybody would stop us and say, Oh, you know, look at the twins. We want to have a, you know, have a hold. And, and it would take us ages. So I think the jealousy, was quite evident for the older kids. Hmm. So it, it was a bit of a juggle for a while. And, I mean, that sort of, it's changed over the years. You know, we became a really tight unit again when the twins dad and I split up. Um, so how old
0: were the twins when your relationship with their father sort of
1: ended? So it was just before they went to primary school. Mm -hmm. So they were at daycare a couple of days a week and, um, yeah, it sort of fell apart then. It was kind of a different sort of reason than previously. Being in the fire brigade, he had experienced some quite traumatic situations and I remember he had gone to a medical emergency where a a baby had died, a one-year-old baby had died, and he Mm. was unable to revive this baby. And he never really recovered from that. And he was one of the, he'd been in the job for 30 years and he was one of those firefighters that just didn't believe in going and seeing a psychologist and Mm. doing all of that. You know, it was Mm. kind of before that time. Mm and he um he became really quite seriously depressed and it didn't you know we had a period of about 3 years where he just he just wouldn't get out of bed unless he was going to work and it kind of was the failing of our relationship but it just I couldn't get him to respond to anybody or anything and in the end it was too much and mm. we separated um, it took quite a, a while for him to recover from that. Um, yeah, it was just a difficult time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kids, the kids have been amazing. They're quite resilient. They're quite used to having parents that don't live together, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, sometimes I question my ability to have relationships, but you know, you can go really deep and dark on all of that, and I try not to do that to myself. Mm, of course.
0: You've done an incredible job of raising four beautiful, amazing kids. So, what did you tell us about what then progressed career wise and led you up to sort of what you're doing now as well? <clears throat>
1: So the the twins' dad, um, Brett, he and I had this cleaning business, and when he left, uh, he left me with the cleaning business, and I still had my virtual assistant business doing bookkeeping and secretarial work, and I kind of couldn't balance the whole lot, so I ended up reducing the amount of VA business that I was doing and took over the the cleaning business, and we were we were cleaning about ten council halls which Mm -hmm. was quite busy and over a period of the next three or four years that grew and I ended up doing 16 council halls a couple of leisure centers and some senior citizen centers and then in 2013 council put it out for tender as part of their major infrastructure and maintenance program and naively I thought that I would get it but I didn't Um, they had 176 properties that they cleaned and I was doing about 20 of them. Um, So it was a very naive um, Sarah that thought that I would, you know, possibly get some of that, but I, Mm. I lost my whole contract and the people that got it were a a national company and they offered it to me at a fraction of the cost. And I decided that I wouldn't do it. Um, So I had about a month where I was, semi unemployed. Mm -hmm. And my mum said to me, gee, that'd be great. You can go get a real job now. (laughs) And I I thought, well, nothing's going to provide me with the income that I've become used to earning and and that my ability to stay home with the kids and pick them up from school every day and do what I needed to do. So I actually ended up borrowing a hundred thousand dollars against my house I've been very, very, very lucky, I have to say, that the house that I'm in now I've been in for 23 years. So I've um, um, outlived three partners, yeah, two husbands and another partner in my house and raised four children in it and I'm still here, which Mm -hmm. is not, I don't mean that as an achievement but I mean that as being the stability that it's given my kids and my family that we're Mm -hmm. still here and we're Mm -hmm. still in the same house and that's because my dad has helped me out financially and, and enabled me to stay here. Um, so, what I did was I borrowed against the house and I bought a commercial cleaning business and I bought I bought a domestic cleaning business. The domestic cleaning business I worked really really hard in over four years, and I sold it for five times what I paid for it four wow. years later, mm. which was great. And it was, it just about killed me because I ended up dealing with people that had all sorts of addictions. Um, I had alcoholics working with me that were drinking people's booze in their houses. I had ice addicts that apparently were dealing on the job and it became quite um, toxic, Mm -hmm. but I managed to build it up from 35 houses to 350 houses over a four-year period and have something that was saleable, which was awesome. Mm, And then so I still have my commercial cleaning business and Mm -hmm. I also have a contract with the local council where I do a project called Clean Team where we provide about 15,000 cleaning hours to the local shire over a six-month period. Which I'm in my seventh year of a 10-year contract, which is amazing. Mm. And we employ about 25 people a year for that, which has been really fun. It's been really good and it's been really rewarding Mm -hmm. to give people who normally wouldn't find employment down here a job Mm -hmm. for at least six months of the year, which I really enjoy. And then, of course, I became a finance broker about four years ago. Mm. Which is, um, I think, is my calling. It's, yeah. It's what, I, it's what I believe I'm here for. It's, it's, I really believe that there's a, a huge place for women to educate other women on financial literacy and security and being able to empower us to take control of our financial future. And that's mm-hmm. where I think I'm heading now.
0: Incredible. So what's next? What's next for you? What's next for your businesses and your
1: family? Well, my eldest daughter spreading her wings and she um, has just got herself an agent to hopefully get her some work in musical theatre. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, second, here <laughs> hopefully here in Melbourne. Hopefully here in Melbourne. Although she's determined to go to London and visit the West End. So who knows? I, you know, I, just, I hope for her she gets to live her dreams because mm. I think I've done as much as I can for her. <laughs> and my second daughter is in her about to start her second year of primary school teaching um, at uni at Monash in awesome. Frankston. And the twins are in year eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've still got five more years of school. And for me... I'm going to keep on broking because I absolutely love what I do. Mm. I love, I love helping people achieve their dreams. I, I love people finding that financial freedom and finding a way to get into their own home. And the next step for me is hopefully, um, when I say that, I, I, I don't mean that hopefully that it, Um, the universe does it I mean hopefully that I've got the determination to do it is to develop a program of literacy to teach mainly women but Mm. you know anybody who wants to listen how the steps involve to be in control of their financial future because god knows we need it god knows we need to teach people how to stay out of debt how Mm. how to how to live within their means and not be sucked into living the life of the Joneses and, you know, just enjoy life and, and be in charge of your own destination, you know.
0: I was having a conversation with my sister who is tw- uh, 19 and her partner who is 19 or 20 the other day. And um, her my sister's partner is very mature for his age and he's very interested in business and you know, quite entrepreneurial and was entrepreneurial from a young age. And he's now reading The Barefoot Investor and yes, really interested in, you know, things to do. And he's finding it so fascinating because it's so new to him. And, you know, I grew up in, I started working in finance when I was 16. So I, you know, had learned a lot of things from a young age, but we had that conversation as the three of us saying, you know, why why isn't this kind of stuff taught through school, like particularly towards the end of high school or at least in college around, you know, what's credit and, you know, inquiring for something online, how that puts a mark against your credit file and then what that means, what's your credit score and how do you save and what's a good interest rate and is it term deposit or an online savings account? All that kind of basic stuff. It's just, I wish that that was just part of the education curriculum. Um, you know, oh, I couldn't agree more years. because mm.
1: because I, God knows I wasn't taught it. Mm. I mean, I I think the you know I don't even remember being taught it by my parents. But what I do remember is that we were taught that money didn't grow on trees, mm. and and we were taught that um, this is as much as we have to give, and these are the types of holidays that we have. And you know, I think parents. And, you know, I'm guilty of it myself in that, you know, we live a much more affluent life than our parents did and and they led one that was better than their parents. So, you know, how you, you kind of don't know how to say no to your kids and that's the thing that we have to learn is mm-hmm. to stop saying yes to everybody for everything and, you know, just because you know, Mary and Joe are taking their kids to Bali, doesn't mean we have to. And, Mm. you know, I've just come back from 10 days camping in the Otways. And I can tell you that that holiday we just had was probably more memorable for my kids than the one we did when we went to Thailand two years ago. Yeah, right. Because, because they had me, undivided for ten days and mm. we played we played cricket every single night and my son lit the fire every night and we toasted marshmallows and we did we walked eight to ten kilometers every day and it's just a different holiday and we're just caught up in this you know such and such is going here so we have to do that. It's just just a different life. Mm. And I think I think I, I admire your sister's boyfriend partner who's actually reading the barefoot investor because whilst there's a, you know, there's people out there that will always criticize people like that. At least he's getting people to stop and have the conversation and think about what they're doing. Mm. And I know my daughters, my eldest daughters, they're really hard workers and they've worked their asses off this over this school holidays in their part-time jobs. And they would never think about having a credit card, which Mm. is great. Mm. It's starting to turn. The wheels are starting to turn. Mm. Whereas our generation grew up with credit available to us. I mean, Mm. my parents' credit wasn't really there when my parents first were starting out. But our whole generation has been the credit card generation. Mm. And, And, you know, you know what it's like, Danielle, with, you know, with doing finance about how much consolidation and debt we do. And you look at it and you just think, oh my God, what are people doing?
0: And it's funny that you say that actually, because there was a lot of that debt consolidation of multiple, multiple credit cards. People that had um, grown up buying property at extremely low prices that now had a lot of equity in it. So equity rich, but Relatively cash poor, with a whole heap of debt, and coming in and going, yeah, repaying five, six, seven different credit cards, and then all of a sudden having this mortgage that they didn't have before. Yeah, but because they'd yeah. racked up this debt, and they were in their, you know, late forties, early fifties. Yeah. So you're right; it's that generation that did grow up with, you know, really easily accessible credit, and obviously credit is accessible now. But I do think that you know, whilst there still needs to be more information through the schooling system, I think that awareness is a lot, seems to be a lot better around, you know, the disadvantages (laughs) of of too much credit and that kind of
1: thing. Yeah. And I, and I hope that the next generation is much more aware than, than I was because Mm. I mean, whilst I've always been a really good budgeter with my money, there's lots of people that aren't, you know, like quite often we're doing refinance of people that have got not just one or two credit cards, but two or three or four and two car loans and this and this and that, you know, like, you know, I can't believe how much people, how much debt people are allowed to get themselves into mm. by credit card companies who who clearly don't have to meet the same guidelines as everybody else in mm. the finance business, you know. Mm. And, and I think it's, I absolutely agree with you that, the only way to do it is to get the education into schools. You're you're the lucky one. You're amazing that you've been working in finance since 16 because you have an understanding of that. But most people your age would not have that. Mm. Most people are just... Well, know, that's where I would say life. That's where I would say though that the barefoot
0: foot investor has helped because my friends yeah. my friends are so like they're not, you know, in that industry or one of them kind of is, but they've just been fascinated by the barefoot investor and taken so much on board and I've sort of skipped yeah. over it because he doesn't yeah. like finance focus really. So no, I haven't like, <laughs> I haven't read he it doesn't. in detail, but the, no, yeah, at, the, at the end of the day, it's teaching people to be smarter about their money. So it's, I don't think yeah. there's any perfectly right or wrong answer for anyone. It's, no.
1: Absolutely everyone's situation is different. Things, yeah. And there's lots of things I don't agree with, mm. and, but, but I, I've made, I've been reading barefoot for Oh, I think I read it four or five years ago and I give it to all of my, all of my loans that settle who are people that, you know, refinance and stuff, you know, or first mm-hmm. homies and things like that. Yeah. I always send them out a copy of the barefoot and say, yeah, okay. I read this. It helped me. Yeah. And I mean, as I said, I've always been a really good budgeter, but it actually changed the way I viewed my savings mm. so that, you know, I used to take everything out of one pool of money and now I've got six or whatever, five or six different bank accounts. So I know what I have to spend on every different thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for me, even as a good budgeter, it's really changed the way I've viewed my money. Mm-hmm. So if it can do that for me, it must be able to do amazing things for people who who don't know a whole lot about it. So I write a little note in my book when I send it out and I say, you know, look, I, I, this changed my life and it changed the way I viewed money. If, if it helps you, great. If you don't like it, no problem. Give it to somebody else. Mm. And because I don't, I don't want to offend people, but I really think that there's so many principles in the book that can help people change the way they view money. Um, yeah, mm. you know, every little, every little step helps. And, and if we can change the way people think about the way They save money the way they spend money. It's got to be a good thing and Mm. that's that's my, I believe that's my destiny is to change financial literacy of of particularly women over the next 10 years before I retire. That's Mm -hmm.
0: it. (laughs) Good luck on that journey. Is there any (laughs) other key pieces of um, advice, information, anything, any words of wisdom that you...
1: Would like to pass on
0: before we finish?
1: I think I'd just like to say one thing, and that is that no matter how hard we think it is as a parent raising kids, it it absolutely is hard. But no matter how hard it is, we just need to take a breath and take it one day at a time, one minute at a time, one hour at a time, and just love those little people that we've brought into the world because they are amazing and mm. they are part of us and they just are going to be our future and and I look at my kids today not just the big ones even my little ones and you know they're 13 years old and they're a product of their upbringing and mm. Um, we we have to show them that the world is a good place mm. and only we can do that and i think that you know i i have had some really dark times where i've as i said before that i've sat and cried in the corner and and they don't understand why you're crying and we just kind of have to push through it and find a way of working with them and talking to them and sharing your experiences with them so they can understand it in, even in the most simple way. Mm. I mean, you know, even for you, you've got little kids and they will understand it if mummy needs to have time for mummy to do things for herself. Because Mm. I remember when I went, I went, I'm a great believer of psychologists and, having counselling and, and each of my marriages I have gone to counselling and I remember the very first time I went, my counsellor said to me, if you don't look after yourself, you can't be the mother you want to be. You have to, at some point in time, put yourself first. Mm. And that's really important.
0: So true. And I literally, you know, that happened for me. Um, Literally this time last year, I was going through that phase where I was really struggling and finding it all kind of really tough and and luckily just came to that realisation that I just, okay, I've just got to stop for a second and just put the focus and the intention and the love that I'm putting into my children back onto me. And as soon as you do that, everything else just becomes a hell of a lot easier and more enjoyable. Um, so does mm-hmm. you know, El?
1: When I when I listen to your first couple of podcasts, it just you know you might think that I know what I'm doing because I'm down the other end of the track and I'm um you know I'm older than you and I've got older kids, but I still get as much out of listening to you tell me about what you're doing. As I do with listening to your next guest and your next guest, so yeah. don't ever so think about you know, what you're doing is it's fantastic it's sharing mm. and I hope that people who listen to my story think you know okay, you know I'm not at the beginning, I'm at the end, so it's it's important to share stories from everybody because <coughs> excuse me what i what I listen to with your story is about you getting up and you're going to the gym every morning and taking that time out for yourself. You know, you're making it, you're making that commitment to yourself Mm. to do, to do something to make you a better mum because that's what gives it, you know, and we all have to remember that we have to don't ever let people tell you, that you're being selfish and you're not putting your kids first because you're going and doing something for yourself. Because Mm. even today people tell me that because I'm doing things for myself. Well, that's just crap. Mm. It's crap because we all have to, we all have to do what we need to do to be able to survive the journey of parenthood without a doubt. Yeah,
0: that's so, you've just nailed that sentence completely. And I think that's the biggest thing. Everyone is just so different. That's probably what I've realised. Particularly, you know, obviously becoming a mum is completely life-changing. For me, the biggest life-changer was when I had my second and, you know, she was an incredible baby, but just the juggle of managing both and giving enough attention to both and all of that, that's probably where, what just triggered me into this really like, holy crap, how am I going to do this? How are we going to do this? Yeah. Um, and what I realised through that phase was there's no right or wrong. Like whatever I need to do that's going to make it work for my family, you know, with my husband in tow, we communicate and whatever we need to do is whatever's right for us just because whoever else that I kind of know through someone else put stuff on social media and everything looks like sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. Uh, You know, (laughs) that might be like that all the time for them. And that's great if it is, but you know, I don't need to try and portray that either all the time. That might not be what is right for me. And, and like you say about no, the holidays it's a whole and mum stuff. guilt thing. Yeah, massively. It's funny that you mentioned that about the gym because, you know, obviously we've had Christmas and New Year period and I've kind of dropped off that routine. Just, I've gone every day this week and it's been fantastic. But that mum guilt thing for me has kicked in like no tomorrow. Yeah. So hearing you say well, what you just did has given me that little kicker to go no you're doing the right thing it's just keep yeah. doing it like just shut out the noise that's not really there it's all just the stuff that's going on in your head and flux to Absolutely. someone trying to say it to me because i would put them you know tell them my thoughts if they if someone was to challenge it but yeah we're just all, we're all doing what we can
1: <laughs> we can and we're all at different stages of our lives and you know i took up golf last year in 2019 i took up golf awesome and I've met this amazing grump, um, group of women, who are all at my age group. Most, but I'm the only one who still has young children at home, mm. and, I, and I am the only one who's self-employed, which is, you know, it's that challenge of trying to fit in golf. And I, I don't get to play every week, but I have found this group of nine women, and we're going on our we're going on a girl, girls golf weekend this year. <laughs> How awesome <laughs> well, I'm not sure how not much longer. golf there'll be, but you, yeah. know, we'll, you know it's fun. the intentions there I, absolutely <laughs> and you know we actually do generally love the golf and we love the social aspect of it, and you know we may never be great golfers, but we'll have fun trying and Mm-mm. you know what i what I also have learnt is that you know you just you have to do whatever it takes to make. Your life better and Mm. you know, better be a better parent. And you know, my kids know that I need to walk to clear my head, I need to catch up with my girlfriends and my sisters like once a month.
0: Mm. You know, it's
1: not a lot of time. Mm. You know, my son plays basketball five nights a week, and I run into that. And if I say to my kids, I want to have dinner with my sisters once a month, if they dare say, Oh, you've got to be kidding me, mum, I will just scream. (laughs) because that's not fair. You need to have that balance. Yeah. You need to have some equilibrium, you know, you know, like like people need to have date nights with their husbands and, you Mm. know, they need to take the time out, you know, if you build that into your, your monthly life, your kids will come to accept and respect that. And, Mm. you know, whilst they won't when they're one or two or three or four or five, you Mm. know, they, they will get to know it and they will get to accept it. And, Yes, it might be different to what previous generations have done, and it might be different to what our husbands' families have done, but it's about what makes what works for us and,
0: yeah
1: you know last year, I went to Vietnam for two weeks with my partner. I went to the Kimberleys for two weeks with my sisters. I went to New Zealand for two weeks with my twins I'd learned to play golf and you know it's just it's just mm. a great life mm. it's our life too it is our life too mm. and that's important to remember
0: that's awesome there's so much so much here i think so many people will enjoy listening to so Thank you so much. So. It's been so nice chatting to you. It's like, um, you too. <laughs> I kind of love these podcasts because I feel like I'm just having a chat with a friend, but people are listening in and hopefully getting some good pointers as well. So it's, uh,
1: it's I love lovely it. talking to you and I, lo- I love your wisdom. And I'm, you know, I'm really enjoying listening to all, all the stories of, of all your other guests and, you know, keep it up.
0: Thank you because it's
1: really important. It's really important to share the story, to give women confidence mm. and you know reinforcement of what they're doing
0: i've just loved the messages around people that are changing things in their lives because of what they've heard on here i just think that's like it's just mind-blowing to me i just you know making really good yeah. positive changes around booking in self selfish care whatever you want to call it and you know even little things like a friend of mine's husband messaged me the other day and he's binge listened to all eight episodes in two days (laughs) while he was at work and he's like you know he's like I know I'm not your target audience but you know I've really found value hearing from a female's perspective all these stories what goes on in you know in the woman's mind and I just thought how awesome is that like the fact that it's even getting that kind of reach and and information to, to men as well. I just, yeah. yeah, I just love it. Well,
1: yeah. If we, if we can change a man's perception by letting him know the guilt we feel <laughs> mm. by simply taking five minutes out of every day to do something for ourselves. Mm. And, and exactly. you know, it's not their fault. It's mm. not their fault. It's society. Yeah. It? And genetics yeah. as well. Ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The way my, you know, as I said before about my mum saying to me, Oh now you can go and get a real job because being self employed is not mm. you know, it's like yeah, if you're running up against that in everything you do, it's um it's a hard row. Mm. It's a hard row, really. But, yeah, good
0: on you. Thank you. you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you to everyone listening. This was episode nine. Um, I'm having a holiday in a couple of weeks or next weekend, I think it is. So I've got a whole heap of episodes booked in over the next week and a bit before I have some time away with my beautiful family. So look out for those. If you can like, comment, share on your social medias, your Instagram, Facebooks, anything to kind of get the messages out there. I would absolutely love it. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to uh, releasing the next episode soon.